1: Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Leafs Guide. Happens to be Season 2, Episode 5. Jim Taddy with you. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. And the hockey story, Leafs coming off a big win in Philadelphia on Wednesday night. We'll dive into that and the recent trends, which are, for the most part, positive. Gus Cotceros from NBC Sports Edge and McKean's Hockey will be by very shortly. Before we get there, the NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. Newcastle. Customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection or off the toe of the skate as Nylander did on Wednesday night. As soon as the puck crosses the line, the lamp goes on, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everybody can play for huge cash prizes all season long with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. There are many of them. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So this is for new customers and that first deposit. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. What is it? Guy, guy, what is it? THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with the promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, on to the hockey story. And the 3 nothing win in Philadelphia was much-needed tonic after, well, it wasn't a very good 5-1 loss to the LA Kings at home ice, but it was preceded by a nice winning streak of five games. And it just got better. I mean, some of the opposition was, you know, a little weak. And so you didn't want to really bank on the success that the Leafs were having. 3-2 Chicago at overtime. Okay. 5-4 over Detroit. Well, that was kind of a sloppy win because the Wings got coming back. 4 nothing over Vegas. Vegas had six players out. 2-1 over Tampa in overtime. Certainly full value. And really the icing on the cake was the 5-2 win over Boston last Saturday night. So then they come out of that, play the Kings, don't look good. Nice response in Philadelphia. It was a nice build throughout the game, and they got better as the game went on. The, the original concern was the Flyers were going to be able to shut down the Matthews-Nielander bunting line. Uh, that didn't happen. Nylander had a couple of goals and an interesting sort of pass from Muzzin that landed on the toe of his skate that went in the net before he even had any kind of reaction on his foot, even though they did review it. But 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 anyway, good win Wednesday night in Philadelphia and games this weekend. Friday night at home to Calgary, it's the Hall of Fame game. And Saturday in Buffalo, plenty of stuff here to deal with. So let's go to our conversation with Gus Katsaros from NBC Sports Edge and McKean's Hockey. Okay, Gus. Uh, pretty good sample size of wins—five wins—a regrettable loss against the LA Kings. That's almost unexplainable. And then Wednesday night in Philadelphia, full team effort. Uh, I don't want to know if I, I don't know if I want to say full sixty minutes, but a sort of a like developing sixty minutes. They got better as the game went on. What does this sample size tell you?
0: Yeah, it, what it's saying is all the stuff that they were kind of dealing with in the earlier part of the season um, seems to be behind them now. They're kind of moving together more as a structured unit. Um, we're going to see the Leafs go as far as Matthews is able to take them offensively. Um, Even when he's not been scoring over the last little while, you see Marner has been picking it up, and it's good to see that all the troubles that he's had from the beginning of the season, at least with luck in trying to get uh, some points and goals uh, on the board, um, it's nice to see him kind of move past that. We continuously see William Nylander being able to uh, provide a good offensive element. Um, John Tavares getting hurt was a little bit of an unfortunate event, but even he's been kind of pulling some of the depth it's very concerning that we're not seeing a lot of scoring coming from other than those four players um, and I think that in the end if if a player like Tavares goes down and we saw that with Philadelphia we still see the big names coming through but we're not seeing a lot of depth scoring. There's no more Jason Spezza on a white knight as a white knight riding in and scoring timely goals. Um, we've seen really good goaltending which I think is very very key for Toronto success this season and beyond. We need to see a Bit better of a defensive effort. They were phenomenal last year in the way that they were able to address defense. And I'm not really sure that they're capable of doing um, the same thing this year. Uh, on one note on defense, uh, defense I think that Timothy Lilligren has been stepping in and doing a, uh, an admirable job. He deserves a little bit more ice time, maybe even more of a permanent spot. And I'm not really sure if that comes at um at the expense of Justin Hall, who's really, really struggled this year. Um, And I think that there's a bit of a misconception with Justin Hall. And I know about the expansion issues and all of that, but the excuse seemed to be that he was always well playing well while he was with Jake Muzzin. It's not Jake Muzzin's job to cover up for Justin Hall. It's Jake Muzzin's job to be a good Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman. If Lilligren can step in and do that job, perhaps it gives the Leafs a little bit of flexibility to look elsewhere for any other potential solutions.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's an interesting point because for the longest time we didn't really deal with the blue line. Um, Hall—I um, don't know if he plays with the pace they want. Uh, Lilligren does. Uh, you know, they talk about having to clean up his uh, breakout passes a, a bit more, but—but but I like what he brings to the table. And actually, when you see Lilligren and Sandine play, uh, you would assume that Sandine would handle all the offense. But Lilligren is—is is more than capable that way. And if you throw Dermot in there and take Hall out, you've got—I mean—you're still missing that physical Zach Bogosian edge. But you've got guys that are really fast and, and are able to move the puck that, that would match the, the speed of the forward. So so I like what you're saying there. I don't know exactly how the Hall situation plays out. But, but, you know, clearly in this roster, when everybody's healthy, they have a lot of players. And I want to go to the forward unit because in the game last night, you know, there's the several things emerged for me. And I'll just go through this one by one. Uh, the first one was bunting. That line was uh, physically handled by Couturier, uh, Giroux, and Connectney. Uh, uh, but as the game wore on, they figured out a way how to, how to play through that. Uh, they went after Bunting, and he persevered and actually turned it around. And I think the whole line turned it around on the Flyers because by the end of the night, that, that uh, sort of coverage that the Flyers are giving the lease didn't exist anymore. You know, that's a developing story for me because I think that's how teams are going to go at that lease line is, is to play them physically, which might have. Some results, but not the results I think that that the opposing team would want.
0: So that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that, too. One of the the skills I feel that Matthews possesses that is really underrated, um, and I can't remember when it was, but it was against uh, uh, Detroit. He had two Detroit players on him. He was standing up against the boards, and he still had the puck in possession so being able to maintain possession even when you're kind of physically mauled um, and being able to progress the play to another player or to another part of uh, a weaker side of the ice um, that's a skill in itself so Matthews and Nealander have a similar style that they can possess there if the focus does end up going to Bunting, then it just opens up more room uh, for, for all of them you know in the end if Toronto has control of the puck they can't really be physically thrown away because you have to you have to engage them in order to do that and teams obviously know that they can be a little bit tighter defensively on them and they would get the upper hand so that's all fine and good. Toughness and grittiness and and all of that I think is a very team level concept not necessarily a player level concept but whenever a player is confronted with toughness they need to be able to kind of persevere and break through that all three of those players have kind of shown that bunting more so than my expectations initially were um so i think that that's just one of the um motifs that we're going to have to pay more attention to going out this uh full off the season
1: okay so now i'm going to go to the second line and these two guys are um, guys that will come under scrutiny because of the money they're paid. And when the team is healthy, um, they may be sort of dropped down the list and you'd go, why would you pay that kind of money for somebody lower on your roster? Well, the fact is they need the depth. So Kerfoot at 3.5 is a target for the money. And Richie at 2.5 in the limited production is also a target. You add it up, what do you, you get $6 bucks, right? Did I do the math? Yeah, $6 bucks. So people are going to zero in on that. But the fact of the matter is with Tavares Kerfoot goes into the center spot. Richie moves up to the left side of that line, and it looked good. I I mean, Richie had seven shots on goal in in that game. Could have scored a couple of goals, but, you know, obviously there's a void there. He's not going to be the winger that plays with Matthews. But what I'm saying is in terms of the full 82 games, if you have some injuries, at least you have the depth to fill in.
0: Well, one of the things I kept saying was Bunting and Richie are gonna essentially be the replacement for a Zach Hyman. So whatever his skill set, those two players are gonna to have to fill in and bring it in. So moving Richie up and down in the lineup was actually ideal. So I think that we've all kind of agree he's not gonna end up playing on the first line. He doesn't deserve to be there. Yeah. Um but he can play in instances in front of the net on the power play or in the bumper spot. We saw him make a very skilled move and 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 he's taken a lot of shots individually in games um, in the past. Um, His scoring luck hasn't really progressed through, and that's all fine and good. But what you're looking for here is a player to be able to kind of move in, produce at a specific spot for a limited period of time, and then move on. Kerfoot is actually a good example because last year when uh, Tavares did go down in the playoffs, he did step up and he was productive and he was able to provide an offensive spark and offensive element. Um, if there are playing the uh, uh, the Matthews line more physically, that should open up a little bit more ice for all these depth lines. And that number two line is actually uh, um, pro- the prime candidate. So anytime you have a Mitch Marner on the ice, it's always dangerous. You add a skilled offensive element and Kerfoot and it's always dangerous. Hopefully the physicality and the ability to get to the net front would add some other component to Richie's game. Um, but this is a temporary line that has performed very well, um, at least in a very short period of time. We're going to have to see with a larger sample.
1: Yeah, the third line, I, I just love watching. Camp, uh, Engvall, and Kesha. Now I don't know what, what kind of totals they're going to get, and, and probably uh, not the best of totals, but they're effective out there, and I like that unit, so I wouldn't touch that at all
0: so i have a few concerns here they brought in david camp to be a defensive specialist and he does that by what taking face-offs in the defensive zone in the last two minutes of a game where they're tied he doesn't seem to really get a lot of ice time um the same kind of goes for andre kashi both those players can offer a little bit more and i feel that the coaching staff will end up going back to Tavares to take face-offs in critical areas or even matthews because he just either trust them more in a face-off situation or in the defensive zone so if you were going to go out and herald david camp for being uh, one of your defensive specialists but not necessarily using him in these defensive situations and while i agree with you i think that as a line they've performed very well but what exactly are we using these defensive labels for if they're not really being utilized in defensive situations
1: yeah. Okay. Good. Fair point. I, I agree with that. I just think that uh, in a playoff series over the course of the season, uh, you have to have a line like that, how you use it as coach's choice. And, and that probably opens up a debate of uh, the guy I want to go to because he's on my leaf roster. And every time I've seen him play in the preseason, last thing was his first game. I just love the intelligence of this guy, Semyonov. I, he just knows exactly what to do. Um, you know, as a uh, uh, an NHL rookie, played in the KHL, but as a guy who's debuting in the NHL, he would be definitely on my bottom six on the Leafs. He's a smart, intelligent hockey player, has some physical uh, attributes, and, and also knows what to do with the puck offensively. I just, I don't know how they fit him in, but he's on my team.
0: So I tend to agree. I think that he's shown enough attributes to be able to step into a, uh, maybe not necessarily in a full-time role, but at the same time too, though, that their playing time is becoming a problem. Who do you remove from the from the roster in order to make a position for him or a spot for him? I, they either have to move out of body or, or limit some time to either a, 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 some kind of a fourth-line player, whether it's Wayne Simmons or Nick Richie or whoever's filling in, because you're not going to end up, inserting him on any of the other lines we've just discussed those seem to be pretty much set otherwise um despite any kind of player movement so it's a matter of where do you put this player for his best developmental um i guess potential if he don't have if he doesn't have a permanent spot here in toronto and i'm not really sure that they're going to make a permanent spot for him chances are he's going to be best served playing in the marley's um, get a little bit more professional experience in North America. And then hopefully next year, they know that they have an asset that they can now lean on, not necessarily even in the fourth line role, because he has shown attributes that are kind of uh, more beneficial up the lineup. So it's nice to be able to inject players, similar to what we just discussed about Nick Ritchie. So I, I think playing time is really the biggest issue going into um, this season for that particular player.
1: Yeah, the way I look at it is that, you know, I came out of the game Wednesday night thinking, Long-term, uh, they've got extra bodies. Mikheyev's three to four weeks away. When he comes back, he's in. That bumps somebody else out. Um, Long-term, that I'm talking about next summer, Kerfoot and Richie would have to be addressed just because it's $6 bucks. I wouldn't touch it right now. Uh, short-term, uh, somebody on the blue line, maybe Hall, uh, you would look at that. Uh, and uh, short-term, uh, up front, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, there's there's an extra forward in there. I don't know who it is put your name in, but you could somehow package a, a defenseman and a forward for something. I don't know what it is, and probably not even a player, maybe a draft pick or something, but but they have parts that they're going to have to make a call on short term and certainly next summer is, is a whole different ball game because we don't know where Jack Campbell's going to be. And if he keeps playing the way he is right now, he's not signing for $4 bucks. It's going to be much yeah. higher than that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting goaltending decision based on just his performance alone. And, you know, again, I wanted Jack Campbell to be successful. Um, I think as a person and as a goaltender, he should be given the opportunity. But um, there's still a lot of hockey to be played. There's still a lot of decisions to be made. Um, Whether his situation changes over the course of this season for the positive or the negative, we'll eventually find that out. Um, but I agree with you completely on there's nothing that they can do at least at this point in time about Kerfoot and Richie. They are probably going to be the two prime players to be looking to either move out um, over the course of the summer, should they stay as Maple Leafs for the rest of the way. And, you know, as a good general manager, what you're doing is finding out what's the best value for your players in the market and what players can we potentially get cheaply to be able to move our roster ahead positively. So even if that's a move a player out so that we can create a spot for somebody internally, that's fine. So I think that there's this constant assessment of how they're going to potentially do that. Um, I keep going back to the Hall situation with the expansion uh, draft, because if Hall's going to be the player that they move, because they knew that they had Timothy Lilligrand that can kind of move into that spot, then I think that they make a big, bad decision on, on, on not allowing Jared McCann to be a bigger part of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I find that that one decision is probably going to end up costing them sometime or something in the summers coming up.
1: Okay. I agree with what you're saying, but, but looking at this, this forward unit, where would McCann play here? I mean, well, how would you have him slotted in? Cause I don't, uh, I mean, I, I don't think they, they, they lose him. I like, I don't think they're missing anything here. I think they've, they backfilled and, and I would agree with, with the hall situation, but at the time, they considered him to be a top four defenseman and they made the decision. There was a lot of debate about that, but that was their call. And Lilligren hadn't proved. So I, I don't, I can't really fault them for this. I mean, if you want to alter the script and look at it differently in, in the rear view mirror, you could do that. But I think if you, if you take it in the sequence, it happened, it makes sense. And I don't think there are any worse for it. In fact, that, you know, at some point a defenseman, a nameless defenseman, I think has to be moved out to bring a physical defenseman back in.
0: So I think that for your, the first point if if all things had changed and and McCann was in the lineup, he would be that first line left winger that Toronto Maple Leafs are really looking for. Bunting would be playing on the second line. um, And then everything else would just kind of start to fall into play. So that's kind of how I would have pictured the situation. Obviously this is all speculation at this point. So you're right. Um, And it's just a matter of figuring out these players that they did end up backfilling. For instance, I think that, as long as he remains healthy, Andre Kashi has proved, proved that he can be much more than just a defensive element. He's yeah. got some potential to be more of an offensive foil. So there are good things that they had done um, after the fact. And now it's just a matter of this is where they are. And these are where these players do slot in. And and when Mikheyev does come back again, someone's going to have to come out. So they have decisions that they have to make. Do they make any trades prior to that point? I, I highly doubt that they'll, They'll be really moving anybody off the roster this early in the season, but stranger things have happened.
1: Yep, I, I agree with that. So let's get into the numbers. Uh, this is your specialty area, and the one thing I'm going to throw at you is a number that doesn't exist. But but I'd like your take on this. Uh, when I do the Raptors, uh, they call it deflected uh, deflections. They were are talking about Gary Trent Jr. and how he sticks his hands in there and deflects the ball on a on a, a you know a defensive play, and and that's a relevant stat in the NBA. Um, so I'm going to flip that around. But when I watch the Leafs, I see an inordinate number of attempts to pass the puck through two or three opposition sticks and it doesn't get through they they have the i call it the laser pass where they just whip it then try and get through two or three sticks so i, I think it would be relevant for you know to, like a football play incompleted passes uh just passing attempts that didn't happen because you threw it into traffic i wish somebody could track that
0: <laughs> so um here are my thoughts on that um i'm not I'm not schooled at all other uh, other than in hockey. So I don't really know what's available as far as baseball and, and basketball, et cetera, but in hockey, what you're looking for is events. So if a pass gets created and, and it leads to a, uh, something that leads to a positive element for a team, meaning a shot on goal scoring chance or a goal, then it gets tracked if a pass is done that it doesn't necessarily lead to a good scoring chance or a shot, it's not necessarily tracked, at least not publicly. And so what you can look at is if they are tracking successful pass attempts and you see a, a sample size of X, and then what you're not seeing is the opposite side, the shots and the passes that aren't being tracked are there by removal like they're there because they just don't exist so the more passes that you like in a specific game if you get a lot more passes that are completed that lead to a shot attempt chances are that you got less shots that were not sorry less passes that were not completed and then led to a good um, positive movement moving forward so in the end personally in the background i'm sure that they track this type of stuff Um, At the same time, too, this really leads into a lot of systemic measurements. So you have coaching staff that probably do a lot of, okay, we're going to tick the box every time we see one of the positive elements of how we want our players to play. That part of having a laser pass is probably part of the strategy. And there is somebody tracking that in the background. It's just not publicly tracked. So on publicly tracked statistics, we're looking at things that influence goals, influence offensive ability, and we don't track things that don't have any positive effect of that. So the absence of those statistics are actually a little bit more relevant than just nobody making any attempt to track them it's a bit of a difficult situation to to, to explain without a visual Um, but there are um, some positives in taking the lack of um, completed passes into consideration it's just a matter of how you mathematically work that out in the public sphere in the private sphere, I'm sure that they have tons of statistics that they're able to uh, automatically track. And this information is probably available to coaching staff who formulates their strategy based on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. You'd like to know, because I think you track uh, you know, a, a setup artist by his assists, uh, but there's a lot of plays that could be the third assist, which is not recorded, or the pass that, that's, you know, I guess you record breakout passes. Go ahead. So what we can
0: track and what is publicly tracked is something called shot assists. So if I pass you the puck, Jim, and you take a shot on goal, I am tracked. I am credited with a shot assist. Okay. So now what we're getting at is what influence was that third pass prior to the second pass prior to the primary assistment, prior to the goal score. So there is a a progression for that and they are called shot assists and those are publicly available through for a lot of teams from um, pretty much across the board here.
1: OK, and that, that's good to know. And the, the, you know, the original stat that I brought out about Gary Trent Jr. of the Raptors, uh, he's known defensively for, you know, his movement with the hands and deflecting. So you, if you applied that to hockey, you'd like to know who was who was breaking up passes, but I'm sure they record that somewhere.
0: Oh, uh, on a private level, absolutely, at least from a coaching staff, they'd be, how else do you measure a player's specific impact if you don't have that kind of granularity in the type of events that you're tracking? So publicly, it's really tough to do that because you need to have a lot of manual tracking or somebody creating some highly uh, incredible piece of software that can do that automatically. And that's just not, uh, it's not monetarily feasible. The private areas; they have lots of these kind of statistics that they pass along to teams that they're able to make proper decisions on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd like to know exactly what a player is worth in terms of what he's doing on the ice, which, which again brings us back to the the, the Nick Ritchie story, uh, where you know, uh, you know, I think he's a valuable. I've said this many times. It's not a pick on Nick exercise here. I think he's a viable NHL player. I just question if you were scouting this guy, why you would think he could play with Matthews and Nylander or Matthews and Marner based on his skating stride.
0: So that's probably not what their expectation was because you're right. He can't keep up from, from that one element of skill, but he does bring up other elements, the physicality, perhaps that leads into getting into corners and into situations that um, the skilled players don't necessarily want to, Um, deal with Um, and again kind of the absence of statistics is actually relevant it's just a matter of how it's uh, portrayed in your analysis so When we're getting into skills analysis and we're getting into actual measurements, we get into a very gray area. You're right. Nick Ritchie from his skating ability alone is shouldn't be playing on the first line, but his physicality and his ability to get to the net um, and being able to kind of do some other things perhaps is a positive. Now I can give you a whole bunch of other skills that he's just not good enough to be able to skate on the first line. But in the end, you're trying to fill a void with a skill set that isn't currently available in your organization. So you're hoping that a majority of his individual skills, along with perhaps in conjunction with another player, are able to kind of fill up that void. Uh, now it becomes a very, very tricky situation. And, and I, I don't know how you can possibly justify Nick Ritchie's specific skill set for that role in general. Um, and I'm not really sure how they would assess that other than just saying we're going to have to take a chance here because we don't have any other solution internally.
1: Right. It's just a numbers game at that point. So speaking of numbers, and I don't want to put you on the spot, I don't know what you have there, but but what numbers can you throw at us to talk about uh, the last seven games for the Leafs?
0: So the one biggest number I'd like to say is that uh, five on five, Mitch Marner was getting very little luck. Um, all of a sudden he's um, he's in on three quarters of every goal that scored on the ice. So while we didn't see a lot of progression early on, there's a a, a distinct um, uptick in his own personal production. Um, I think that Morgan Riley's been just fantastic on the back end. I know that there are warts and there's a lot of defensive warts, but from the fourth man in and from the ability to kind of get into scoring chances and scoring areas, um, he's shown that he's been able to kind of jump in. He's getting points on about half of the goals scored while he's on the ice. That's significant for a defenseman that kind of goes from about the 20 to 30% range. He's getting points on 54% of all the goals scored. I think that that's significant. Um, The other thing that we're not seeing is a lot of uh, contributions from the depth, like I said. Um, But when they are in good positions, probably the better players are Jason Spezza and Pierre Engvall. Both those players have been able to put themselves into better scoring positions, they are getting points on more than two thirds of all the goals scored while they're on the ice. Um, and this is all at five on five. I'm not even going to get into the power play. Uh, power play is more about structure and 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 putting players in positions where they're able to move into a, a set play and try to get shots on goal and then add pressure. So we're not we're not going to be talking about that. The one area that I think I'm a little concerned about here is this, again it's the David Kempf, um, Kashian and, and Engblom line. While they are getting some good defensive help or are providing some good defensive help, um, they're also allowing. A lot of shots against, a lot of scoring chances against. Again, for a line that is supposed to be a defensive specialist kind of line, um, I feel that their performance isn't as as good as it probably should be. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that there's lots of hockey still to be played, but when you're on the ice and allowing the amount of scoring chances that they're allowing and the potential expected goals that they're allowing uh, for a defensive unit, I think that they can be a little bit better.
1: Gus, thanks very much. Really appreciate it.
0: Pleasure is always mine. Thank you very much, Jim. Last minute of play in this podcast.
1: Thank you, Mike Ross. Time now for our lickety split. Yes, guy, no guy. Yes, guy, no guy number one. The Matthews, Nylander, and Bunting line is a keeper. Oh, yes, guy. I like the way this line functions. Wednesday night against Philadelphia, as I said earlier, the Philadelphia top line tried to physically intimidate these guys. It didn't happen. They went after Bunting eventually, and he responded, and they started taking penalties. And guess what? This line is a keeper. You think you can shut it down? No guy. So is it a keeper? Or a yes guy. Uh, yes guy, no guy number two, Timothy Lilligrand. Yes guy. I love watching this kid. I know he's got some stuff to clean up in his own zone, but he has puck skill. Nice tandem, Lilligrand and Sandine. So yes guy and Timothy Lilligrand. Yes guy, no guy number three. Kerfoot is a key piece. Oh, an emphatic yes guy. Are you kidding me? When they're totally healthy, maybe the left side of Tavares and Marner. Maybe not. But when they're not healthy, yes, he can play the left side there. He can center the second line. And you'd like to be in a situation where you didn't have to count on him that much. But he is a key player. Forget about the contract. Worry about it next summer. And the final yes guy, no guy. The Leafs are about to have a blowout victory at somebody else's expense. Would it be Calgary on Friday night? Probably no, Guy. Would it be in Buffalo on Saturday? Probably yes, Guy. So I think it's going to happen where all the lines get in and participate in the scoring, and they just absolutely wipe somebody off the ice. Hope you enjoyed Episode 5. Hope you come back next week for Episode 6 of Leaf Sky.